Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Before we get into the passage that we're going to look at, I want to back up for a few moments and go to verse 30 of Exodus chapter 14. It says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And, it, and, the, and, excuse me, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed, uh, and believed, believed the Lord, excuse me, let me restart that over again. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So just been delivered from the Red Sea. They've passed through. What a miraculous delivery. They saw how the Lord God delivered them. And now chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Some gum in my mouth. <laughs> I can't talk with it. Um, so that's where we left off, the song of Moses. We talked about that last week, and, and what a glorious thing. You know, they saw their deliverance. They saw how the Lord miraculously delivered them, and, and now they are, uh, they're worshiping the Lord, a natural thing to do when, when you see God's hand in your life. And uh, later on, towards the end of that passage that I just read, the first two verses, we'll see that uh, um, uh, Miriam, who's Moses' sister, she and the women start worshiping too, because like I shared last week, true worship from the heart, it's contagious. And uh, so Miriam and the women also sing, uh, just praising the Lord. So that's where we left off. What a joyous time. And maybe, maybe for you, that's, you know, you can think back to a time when, man, the Lord's just doing something awesome in your life. And it's just great, you know. Uh, oftentimes when you go to a, a retreat or something like that, you know, you, you have what they call that mountaintop experience where, you know, you're there, you're, you're worshiping the Lord. And you're just, it's just great. And then you go into your regular work week or your regular routine and, and things change. And, and that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. So where we left off was verse 21 at, uh, in chapter 15. So we're going to pick it up in verse 22. It says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. So they're traveling. It's three days since they've been delivered. Uh, since they've been delivered, they had passed through the Red Sea on a Sunday, and that was basically Wednesday. And uh, so now uh, they've, you know, it's hot. They're in a dry, arid climate. They have water supplies with them, undoubtedly. But you know, obviously, it's probably gotten warm. I don't know if you like drinking lukewarm water. I don't. But uh, you know, it's warm, and and eventually that runs out. And so they're going and going and going, and maybe they're asking Moses, Moses, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Moses is like, the Lord's going to provide. You know, we're, I, I know this place, because, you know, Moses knew the wilderness. He would been spent a lot of time in there. I, I know this place where we can get water. So, you know, they, they're going. The Lord's leading them over there. And uh, they get to this place, and sure enough, there's water. What a relief. But then someone runs over and starts to drink it, and oh, I can't drink it. It's bitter. It's poisonous. It's, it's no good. You can't drink it. What a disappointment that would have been. 
You know, our lives are like that. We go through periods of, of rapturous joy. This was a joyous thing this morning. But then we also go through periods of disappointment, disillusionment, bitterness. And this is what we're seeing here in Merah. Verse 24, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? It's like they're saying, Okay, Moses, you're our leader. <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? And I love what Moses does there, verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord. What a good thing to do when you don't know what to do, when you're, you know, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So Moses does the right thing that a person should do. He cries out to the Lord and it says the Lord showed him a tree. Now, we don't know anything about this tree. If you look in the commentaries, you get all kinds of opinions of what kind of tree it could have been. Uh, we don't know anything about it. But the Lord shows him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Again, you go and look at commentators, and it's, it's, it's like, man, I don't even want to read these things because these guys are saying, well, there's a natural reason for this. You know, they threw in the log, they threw in the wood, and the wood just absorbed the bitter water and, and, and made it sweet and stuff. And, and I, I, here's why I have a kind of a problem with that. There's probably, well, we know later on there's going to be about 600,000 men between 20 and whatever age in their 40s that are able to go to war. That means there's younger men, there's older men, there's children, and there's women. So we're talking probably, a conservative estimate, at least a million people. Now, how much water would a million people drink? quite a bit, a considerable amount. And so if you look at this from a natural explanation, and some of the commentators do, they go, well, you know, they threw in this piece of wood and the wood absorbed the bitterness and, and now is sweet. For a million people, that much water, it, would, it just doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't, uh, and, that's, and then you've got to think about their livestock too. They give livestock to, to water as well. So if it was natural, could one tree remove the bitterness of such a large quantity of water for that many people and animals? And I, I have a problem with that. I think it was a supernatural miracle. Although God used a natural thing, a tree, but it was a supernatural miracle. I don't know if you've ever seen the Aflac commercials. You guys seen the Aflac commercial? You know the Aflac duck, right? Aflac. Aflac, Aflac. You know, the guys, they're, they're having this conversation about workplace injuries or their insurance coverage, and the whole time that they're talking, this duck in the background, Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. You know, and the whole principle behind this commercial is, hey, consider Aflac, consider Aflac, consider Aflac. It's a very effective commercial. Well, like the principle of the Aflac commercial, the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament is saying Jesus, not like Gilbert Gottfried, but he's saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because when we look at this passage of scripture, it's shouting Jesus, at least to me it is, and I'll show you here. I think the tree is pointing to the cross of Christ. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, again, could a single tree make the bitter water sweet for a multitude? Well, not a natural tree. I, I just don't, I don't see how it could. Well, someone else would say, well, if you're saying that this is a picture of the cross, how could the cross of Christ make bitter water sweet for a multitude of people? Well, I love what Paul says in Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. 
He says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. He's speaking about Adam. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, we all inherited the sin nature from him. One man, the whole world, inherited the sin nature. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus Christ dying on the cross, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. One cross, one Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one who made our bitterness sweet by taking the bitterness of sin, the curse of the sin, curse of death on him for us. And he made what would have been bitter for you and I sweet through his sacrifice. So maybe you're in a bitter situation today. You feel like you're in Mira. It's like you're disappointed. Something's happened and you're full of disappointment. Uh, you're bitter. Maybe someone has done something and you're just bitter. Well, let me encourage you to do what is told here in this picture. Apply the tree to your bitterness. What do I mean? Apply the cross of Christ to your situation. Has a person caused you bitterness? Consider what it says, Hebrews 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus Christ took on bitterness. The, the, the bitterness, of, we, we, we're Wednesday nights, we're going through uh, Mark's gospel, and we just finished going through the crucifixion of Christ. And the, just the utter cruelty and evil things that were done to Jesus before his crucifixion and during his crucifixion. He suffered bitter, bitterly. You know, maybe it's not a person that's caused your uh, bitterness. Maybe it's just the situation. It's not really, you can't really point it to a person. It's just like you're in a situation and it's bitter right now. You're totally disappointed. Well, I want you to consider this. The Lord guided the children of Israel to this place. They didn't just stumble upon it. The Lord led them to Merah. It was his will that they were there, and it was also his will to provide sweet water for bitter water there. And, you know, just as the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, they led the, it led the children of Israel to Merah, it was the Father's will that Christ go to the cross, the bitter cross, to suffer for you and I. And so, if you're in a bitter situation, again, apply the cross. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Again, it was God's will that, that Jesus suffer on the cross to take on that bitterness that you and I would have had to have taken on. Hebrews 12, 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peter says this, 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Again, if you're in a bitter situation, God hasn't caused your bitterness, but he's allowed it in his sovereignty for you to be in that situation for a reason. And he loves you. So consider him. Commit your, commit your situation to the Lord. Apply the cross 
to this situation. Well, verse 25 continues. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Verse 26, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. As we go through the Old Testament, the Lord is going to reveal himself to the children of Israel in a, in a greater revelation as they go through, as we go through the, the Old Testament. Here, the Lord reveals himself to the children of Israel in a way that he hadn't before. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So that Merah, that place of bitterness, it was temporary. It wasn't forever. The Lord brought them there, but it was temporary. They moved on from there after a period of time. You know, some people, they've gone through a bitter situation. As a pastor, sometimes, you know, I'm called upon to counsel people for different things or, or you know, just interacting with people. And they've had something that's really caused bitterness in their lives, a total disappointment, you know, some, something just bad has happened. But they're no longer in it. But you couldn't tell from talking to them. It seems like they're still in that bitter situation because that's all that it just, it just it absorbs. Every, everything they say, it just that bitterness comes out. They're always referring to it. They're living like they're still in that bitter situation. And they can't, and I, I, I say that probably more accurately, they're unwilling to leave, to let go of that bitterness, to move on. And, and it's hard to, to counsel someone when they're doing that. Well, the children of Israel, they went from a place of bitterness to an oasis in the desert, to Elam. Now, if you're not in a place of bitterness, because I know we've got a pretty good-sized crowd here this morning. Maybe some of you are just, things are just really good. I went to a pastor's conference a couple, oh, it was a few months ago, Teresa and I did, and uh, they had all of those pastors share, you know, what's going on, and some pastors came up there, man, you know, they had the, some terrible things are going on in the lives of some of these Calvary Chapel pastors. I was just feeling terrible for them. <laughs> then it was my turn. <laughs> I get up there and I go, I got the best congregation ever. And I didn't say that, but I, oh, I do feel like I do. <laughs> but no, I said, you know what? I said, I don't have anything bad. I mean, things are actually going kind of good right now. And I almost felt guilty saying that. And, and maybe you're here and you're not going through a bitter situation. Maybe things are just really, things are actually pretty good right now. Praise the Lord for that time. Praise the Lord for it. I got news for you. It's temporary. <laughs> it's temporary. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. Because look at verse 1 of chapter 16. It says, actually, let me back up here. Verse, uh, Psalm 23, verse 2. Maybe this describes where you're at right now. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That, that would kind of describe where you're at right now. It's just things are cool, calm. It's relaxing. And it's a, bree it's a breather. You know, the Lord in his mercy does that for us sometimes. He'll give us those, those times of just cool shade and just... You just take a breath and relax. That, that's God's mercy in our lives. But then you look at verse 1 of chapter 16, and they journeyed from Elam. So that time of rest and relaxation, just like Merrill was temporary, Elam was temporary too. And notice something I think is kind of interesting here. 
When we read about their, their time here in Elam, it's just two verses, right? The end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. And it says they journeyed from Elam. If you look at the, if you look at the narrative there, the Lord didn't speak to them in Elam. The Lord didn't reveal a new name to them in Elam. It was in Merah where the Lord revealed himself to them. It was, where, it was in, in Merah, in their place of bitterness, where the Lord spoke to them. That's where we have this narrative here in the book of, of Exodus. The Lord revealed more of his character to them. And that alone can make a visit to Merah worthwhile. That alone can make it a blessing for us. You see, Merahs are necessary in our lives in order to experience those Elims as well. Think about this. You know, when you ever see a rainbow, it's beautiful, right? But rainbows just don't happen in a blue sky. At least I don't see them usually. You have to go through a storm to experience the rainbow. You have to go through something to experience that, you know, the, the promise of God as we see that in a rainbow. You don't, you don't experience it until you pass through the thunderstorm. You can't experience the fresh uh, new growth of spring, you know, all the beautiful flowers and stuff, until you've passed through the cold, desolate winter. Now, that example only works here in Minnesota because California, it's spring all the time. <laughs> Florida, spring all the time. I'm just kidding. But, you know, there's, there's, a little, there's a reason why I brought that up, though. Because sometimes we look at other people's situations. And we look at them and go, man, they're in Elam. They don't, they're, not, they're not going through any difficulties. Why am I going through those difficulties? And we can get discouraged, more discouraged. We're ready to discourage. get more discouraged because we're looking at them going, man, how did they get all the breaks? Or maybe we look at our Mara situation and go, you know what? There's nobody who's experiencing a Mara like I am. I mean, this is the worst. There's this, you know, they're crying about that. That's no big deal, right? This is really bad. But that's not true. You, you can't think that way. So God gives us those blessed Elams after our Maras, but it's in the Maras where he comes to us, speaks to us, and reveals his character to us. It's in those times of bitterness where the Lord meets us, and, and in his mercy and his grace, he reveals more of himself to us. There's a catch to that, though. You have to be willing to allow the Lord to minister to you in your bitterness. Because I know people that just, you know, it's like they don't get any spiritual benefit out of it because they're not seeking the Lord. They're not spending time with the Lord. They're just complaining about their bitterness. Well, verse 2 continues. All the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. I put a map up there, and uh, this is the, uh, if you look at the red dotted line, it kind of runs down into the Sinai Peninsula. Um, Mara's on the left there, uh, Elam's just below that, and then there, you get down and there's a little gold circle that says Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. That's kind of the traditional route that most scholars think that the children of Israel traveled. There are other theories, theories of that Mount Sinai's actually in the land of what would show there's a land of Midian uh, and there's different routes and stuff and, and I'm, we're not, I'm not going to get into that. I, I don't know that that would be beneficial for us at all. But anyways, just to kind of give you an idea 
of their traveling. Uh, just so as you're reading this, you kind of, you know, you can kind of visualize a little bit what's going on. But the wilderness of sin, by the way, I call it sin, but it's pronounced seen. It's not sin, and it's not to be confused with sin. Yeah, they're traveling through the wilderness of sin. That'd be a good preaching sermon, you know, they're going through the wilderness of sin. Um, but it's true, though. You know, if, it, if there was a play on words in the Bible, it's not. But if there was a play on words, it'd be apropos because there's a lot of sin that's going to occur in the wilderness of sin, <laughs> as we'll see later as we go through the, the narrative. Um, but here's the deal. Oh, by the way, seen, it means thorn or clay. And I, I don't know. I don't know what that, just take it for what it's worth. But as much as you and I want to linger at those fresh wells of water, the, the cool shade, uh, you know, of Elam, you know, if that was our life, if everything always was smooth and you're in my life, I have a feeling we wouldn't grow spiritually. Because it'd be like, you know, I don't need to pray, man, I got everything. It's just, it's all here. Why do I need to depend on the Lord? It's all provided for me. You know, it, it, and, and so if we were to stay in a place of Elam, I think our faith and our walks with the Lord would suffer. And so the Lord moves us on from there. And, uh, you know, we go out from, you know, in Elam, they had the 70 palm trees, lots of shade for a million people. I mean, I mean, they probably fought over who was under the shade trees, but, you know, the shade for the people. And uh, uh, they move out from under that. But you know what? As they're going through the wilderness, there's no more shade. So what are they going to do? They're going to rest under the shade of the Almighty, the shadow of the Almighty. God's going to provide the shade for them. Of course, and that's the cloud that they're walking under. But that's the thing in our lives, you know. The Lord wants to move us from Elam's too to get to a place where we are completely reliant on him for our refreshment, for our sustenance, for our provisions. The Lord wants to do that because that's where we grow in our faith. And so the Lord moves the children of Israel from Elam. And get this, they've been out of Egypt for one month now. It's like exactly a month since they left Egypt. And uh, they've already been complaining once. And look what happens here, verse 2 of chapter 16. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us in, out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Man, it didn't take long for them to complain. But I, you know, I look at that and go, Man, those guys. But that's kind of true of my life. It doesn't take long for me to start grumbling and complaining about, Lord, why is this going on? You know, what's this? You know, it, it's, it's, they're a lot like us. <laughs> or we're a lot like them, maybe I should say. The other thing that's kind of funny here is they, re they remembered the meat and the bread of Egypt. Man, if we could just go back, that food was great there in Egypt. But they forgot, they forgot their misery, their bondage, their slavery, they forgot all that suffering. All they could think about is the meat and the food, you know. That's an interesting thing. Complaining, I think, causes us to forget things. So why do we complain? Why, why did they complain? Why do we complain? I would say probably in this situation it's doubt. They're doubting that the Lord's going to provide for them. Why do we doubt? Because we look at our situation or our future apart from God. We take him out of the equation 
And then we're just, it's like, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, how are we going to deal with this situation? We're complaining and we're grumbling and we're not considering that God's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful today too because he is faithful. That's his character. That's his nature. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that, we, that you complain against us? Something for you to consider next time you complain about your pastor. <laughs> you know, the Lord hears your complaint. And uh, he hears your complaint against him. He just put me here. So don't blame me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, listen, this bread from heaven, the Lord tells the children of Israel, it's going to be a test. And it's not a test of the Lord's faithfulness. God, are you going to come through or not? It's not a test of him. It's a test of their trust and their obedience in his provision. That's the test. Verse 8. Also, Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. What I find interesting here is, did the Lord tell Moses, Hey, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven? I guess he did. Verse 4. But did he mention the quail? It's like, did Moses just kind of take a step of faith and in full assurance of faith, he just said, this is, the Lord's going to do this thing? I don't know. But you know what? The Lord did. The Lord did exactly as Moses said. The Lord provided just as Moses told him he would. Verse 9. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they, uh, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So the Lord provided quail for them. Now, twice, this, there would be another time later on where the Lord's going to provide quail. The quail didn't happen every day for them. Uh, and the second time, it wasn't a good deal at all. Uh, but we'll get to that later in our story. Um, but the manna, the Lord provided the manna six days a week. And on the sixth day, he gave a double portion of it so that the children of Israel could gather it and have some for the Sabbath day uh, so that they didn't have to gather it on the Sabbath. It says, when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And they said, what is it? And that word, what is it, is the word manna. That's where it's, what is it? I have no idea. We're told later on in scriptures that it resembled coriander seed. So 
uh, that's coriander seed, I take it. My wife would probably know for sure, but, um, but so it looks, resembled something like that, um, according to scriptures anyways. <coughs> Verse 16, <clears throat> this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them 